You're listening to In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics, The Nom. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of In Country, a podcast that is taking a complete look at the Marvel Comics series, The Nom. I'm your host, Tom Panneries, and this is going to be an incredibly quick episode, or at least it'll be shorter than usual, because the issue in question, The Nom number 27, doesn't have a month listed, and actually doesn't have much historical context to it, so I won't be doing that section this time around. I know that in future episodes I'm going to run across this problem as well, so... Maybe I'll think of something to fill in the gap in content in each episode, but for now, I'm going to take a look at issue number 27 and give my review, as well as talk about the letters and the ads in the issue. The title of the story is Like a Candle in the Wind, and that's why I opened this episode with the Elton John classic, which is not about war, but it's about Marilyn Monroe, who had passed away 11 years before Elton and Bernie Taupin wrote the song in 1973. The song, of course, if you are of recent vintage, may remember from Elton rewriting, Elton and Bernie rewriting it to a certain extent after Princess Diana's death in 1997. And that version, Candle in the Wind 1997, uh, was a smash hit. I believe the proceeds went to charity. It's either the largest selling single of all time or the second I want to see this is the second largest selling single of all time the largest selling single of all time being I think Bing Crosby's version of White Christmas so that's why we have a song from after the war this time around our credits for this story are Doug Murray writer art Sam Glansman letters and colors Phil Felix consulting editor Larry Hama editor Don Daly managing editor Pat Redding editor-in-chief Tom DeFalco the book came out on October 25th 1988 with a February 1989 cover date according to Mike's Amazing World of Marvel Comics and features Ron a Ron Wagner cover of two soldiers firing their rifle while the feet of a fallen comrade lay before them at the base hospital in Chu Chi, Andy Clark kills a little time waiting for his pickup by telling a couple of greenies about the history of the war. One of the kids asks him to tell another story, and then this is a badly damaged chopper coming in for a landing. Clark goes to help, and a badly wounded man gets out of the chopper. He starts asking for Steve, and Clark says that Griffiths, who is the name of the soldier, should take it easy because his friend's in good hands. Clark tells him that it'll be all right and asks him to tell him about it. So Griffiths begins his story, and much like the letters home issues, I'm actually just going to read this word for word. I was in the first air cav. We were following some NVA after an operation near Plaiku. All of a sudden, we were taking it from all sides. I guess I was just kind of stunned. Anyway, I was just sort of dancing in the wind when he pulled me down. I learned later his name was Steve Baker, and he was some kind of troop. He was the coolest man under fire I ever saw. Never seemed to have a care in the world. 
and always seemed to come out on top. It was like he knew nothing could happen to him. After that, we became friends. We he had me transferred to his squad. Seems we had a lot in common, both from the same part of the country, both married, both planning on the Army as a career. When we got back to the States, I saw why he was so secure. Her name was Ellie. The two of us went to the Rangers school in Fort Benning. Figured I'd give us a little extra edge moving up the ladder. Baker was good at it, natural leader. The rest of us got pretty good at it too. Through it all, Baker and Ellie made the most of their time together. Just as well they did too, Uncle Sugar had plans for us. Orders back to Nam. We ended up with a 75th Infantry Rangers near Chu Lai, attached to the Americal Division. Working with the Rangers was different from anything either of us had done before. We'd pull insertions deep in the bush with the chopper, just touch and going. Chopper sounds bring Charlie, especially if it sounds like the chopper is landing. Once we got on the ground, we moved to the cor- to cover just as quickly as we could. We were sure we were clear. We moved to our objective. I remember those missions. We were supposed to mark this VC fire base for a Cobra strike. I used my K-bar on a VC guard. Baker and a couple of the guys set up flares and smoke around the base perimeter. Pulling back to a safe distance, we called in for an extraction and watched the fun. Then we climbed back into our pickup and headed for home. Everybody trusted Baker to pull us through. There was something special about him. About a month later, though, we all all almost bought it. Army intelligence had spotted a VC firearms repair site with a lot of VC. As many as a battalion camped in the general area. I think that estimate was a bit too conservative. Anyway, as we prepared to jump off, things hit the fan. We were right over an enemy bunker, and there was another one right in front of us. All I could see was the green tracers coming in. Then I had other problems. Just as my tracers got to him, I ran out of ammo. I was so frustrated. Still, we were okay, and the chopper was still flying. But that Remf Major still wanted to put us in, even though the, the Cobras were taking .51 caliber machine gunfire. But Baker talked him out of it. Then something happened. Baker got a letter. A letter he never talked about. But things changed. Things changed a lot. Soon after, we got sent on another mission. A VC village had been napalmed by some of our fast movers. Shouldn't have been anyone home but some crispy critters. But intelligence had reports of a lot of activity in the area, and they wanted us to find out where the activity was coming from. We found out, all right, the hard way. We were in it deep, and this time Baker was not in control. Then we got lucky. Our chunker dropped one right on one of the holes. In the confusion, we had a chance to get to cover. But Baker wasn't special anymore. He was still my friend, though, and somehow we made it. Baker snapped out of it and called for help. The cavalry came charging right in, and we did he mowed right on out. We headed for our extraction point just as fast as we could. Seems that the tunnels were so deep they were going to call an arc light in on them. We surely didn't want to be around during no arc light. But our luck was completely gone, and our pickup was blown away. We had to move fast. The buffs were already on the way. We did the best we could, but our luck was gone. We ran right into Charlie, and he chewed us to pieces. And then it happened. The whole sky just lit up. Next thing I remember is waking up in a slick with my eyes covered and nobody talking to me. Nobody will tell me how Baker is. Nobody will help. We see them closing a body bag over Baker's dead body. And and Griffiths screams, Please, somebody tell me how he is. Somebody help my friend. Even though uh, this story feels like a fill-in, 
I like it because it's a character piece that shows how army life can be tough, especially on a marriage, and how uh, news from back home can change someone. Griffiths gives us a portrait of Baker as this confident, strong soldier who can be trusted to get anyone through anything, but then he changes, and I think we can assume he changes because his wife writes him a letter saying that she's going to leave him or she wants a divorce or something. You can tell this one of the few things he was holding on to from back in the world, and that strips away a lot of his strength and a lot of his character. This issue works pretty well to give us another look at another aspect of the armed forces, which are the Rangers. And instead of having the 23rd get involved with the Rangers, we simply have their camp used, or we have Clark, where Clark is, his camp used as a framing device for the story, which works just as well. There are times when Murray uses this comic to educate us a little bit more about things outside of our usual group of characters, and I think he does that effectively here. The art, I'm not as hip to. Sam Glansman has had a long career with war comics, and his artwork during the flashback sequences is pretty solid, but I had gotten so used to Wayne Van Sant's art that the difference was a bit jarring. It's not bad, per se, but there's always been a mix of the realistic and the cartoonish in the art, in the title. And this is just more straightforward, so I'm not used to it, but overall, it's not a bad issue in itself. I'm going to take a break, and when I get back, I'll talk about the letter column and I'll talk about the ads. Mr. Scott, shall we give the Enterprise a proper shakedown? I would say it's time for that, sir. I... Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this? Which one of you is the captain? Violate the treaty, Captain. Sir, someone is stealing the Enterprise. What are you scratching at? <laughs> Humans make illogical decisions. Destruction sequence completed and engaged. No! Yes, I found Mr. Spock! I'm talking to Mr. Spock, you understand? Starfleet, do Join Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell, the two true freaks, every month for a new episode of Star Trek Monthly Monday. Every month you will get a classic episode of Star Trek the Original Series, a Star Trek comic, and who knows what else. Episodes of Star Trek Monthly Monday can be found for free at 2TrueFreak.com. They can also be downloaded for free from iTunes. Incoming this month, since we don't really have historical context uh, for the for the issue 
Jerry Bush writes in, <clears throat> talking about talking about letter column. He says, Dear Mr. Murray, I've been collecting the nom from the start. When you first started writing this book, people said it wouldn't last, but that was before they had read any of your stories. With that first issue, you captured the true essence of American soldiers, not a group of killing machines, but a group of human beings. I decided to write a letter after reading a letter from in nom number 22 by John De La Cruz. I'm only 16, and I don't pretend to think I know everything about the war in Vietnam. But one thing I don't even begin to agree with is the sentence quoted from his letter. Even those who supported the war weren't going to pretend that the men deserved a glorious homecoming. Those soldiers did deserve a glorious homecoming. They went to Vietnam and fought America's war. That's one more thing brought up in issue number 15. Americans said that this wasn't our war. Well, as far as I'm concerned, when the first American soldier's boot hit the Vietnamese soil, it became America's war. I wish a few more people had stopped burning their draft cards and faced up to real life. And the real life fact is that soldiers were coming home in boxes to protect the same freedom that allowed those, quote, Americans to burn their cards in protest. I really enjoy your comic and think you have informed a new generation about the war, why we were there, what we were fighting for, and most of all, that our soldiers were not Rambos who could take on an entire army and come out without a scratch. They were real men with hearts and souls. As we learned in issue number nine, sometimes these men died. Doug says, Dear Jerry, thanks for the kind words, but keep one thing in mind. The picture of the war given in the Nam is deliberately from the foot soldier's point of view. Always remember there are many points of view in the world, and that even if some of those may, views may be antagonistic, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are wrong. Those who protested the war had some good reasons on their side as well and should not be dismissed out of hand. Scott Levy asks why, they're, why the soldiers were speaking in English and... Doug says something about how they actually make the footnote in comic books that they're translating from the Vietnamese, and then he wonders about uh, why he's having it, uh, why why he was having trouble finding it at local stores. And Doug says, as for finding the book, with issue number eighteen, the Nami Game Direct sales only. You need to buy it at a comic store. Subscribe. Sorry about that. John C. Palomas writes that he's a medic in the U.S. Army currently. He's working toward his nursing degree, and he uh, wants to congratulate him on the superb job he did to issue, issue 21. The personal interaction between Andy and Riley was fantastic. I could identify with Riley's angry anger, frustration, and hurt hurt that resulted from the environment she was in. I have worked as an army, army medic for six years with combat units, hospital wards, and emergency rooms. Your story brought back memories and stirred my emotions. And he'd like to see more about the medical personnel. Jack Stevens writes in and says, Some thoughts I had upon reading Nom number 23, the first issue I've seen. One is the Nom for younger readers. The story seems so simplistic, so easily resolved. It dealt with a serious matter, feeling outcast and isolated amidst isolation, and settled it by bringing on the blonde for a fantasy encounter. This is sort of a television sitcom approach to life and its problems. It doesn't vaguely really deal or resolve anything. Two, I vaguely remember Chris Knoll in teen movies and the like. No, she didn't make Anne Margaret look like a boy. Anne Margaret's still around and still sexy. Knoll's not. Three, I still I liked the kissing scene on page 29, including the lipstick smear on Ader's dopey face. I would have liked to seen how the other fellows react to this kiss-imprinted countenance, though, when he went back to the barracks. Admiration, jealousy, or merciless razzing. Can't say I was riveted with the issue, but I have a feeling it was meant to be a change of pace. I'll definitely pick up another issue in the future. Doug writes, Dear Jack, sorry you thought the 
story was so easily, quote, resolved, although I never meant to give the impression that Eater was all right now. In later issues, you'll definitely find that he is not, quote, all right. As for Chris Knoll, there were there are a couple of facts you are missing. Chris Knoll was a starlet who went to Nam on a USO tour and stayed. She became a disc jockey for Armed Services Radio and was an important link to home for many troops. She married one of those GIs, and when he died of Agent Orange-related diseases, she went back on the road helping other veterans and doing what she could to keep their hopes alive. Finally, Jefferson P. Swikaffer is back, and he writes, Gentlemen and Pat, just a quick note for you and Andy Kubert. The cover for issue number 24 is, of the NAM is excellent. The story is excellent, especially in your coverage of the context of that famous execution. But that cover alone is nothing less than profound. Like many, many others, I've seen the photo of the execution. I've cringed. I have copies in my hand in his several histories. But it is always so easy to forget that the photo doesn't exist by itself in some sort of historical limbo. It's so easy to forget that it was taken by someone and that someone has to have been more affected by the event than I, at second hand, could be. Over here we called it the living room war and thought it was pretty grim. War coming home to America? That seemed unheard of. It's still very hard for me to conceive of the full impact of the reality. Thank you again for the excellent treatment of an amazingly intense subject. You never descend to meaningless heroics. You never condescended. You never tell it is like it's black and white or with any clear-cut moral superiority. Wars are usually fought because both sides think they're justified. Thank you for taking the mystique away from the enemy. Wow. Doug writes, Dear Jefferson, wow and thanks. Nom notes this month, okay, boys and girls, this issue was about the L.R. RP's long range reconnaissance patrols to you and there's a whole batch of new stuff arc light b52 bombers flew so high they were visible from the ground and the first time you knew that they were there was when the sky turned blue white with the glare of the bombs hence arc light buff slang for the b52s charlie is the enemy victor charlie or the vc a chunker artillery the boys putting it down where it was needed crispy critters the shriveled remains after a napalm strike diddy mao is vietnamese for get out in a hurry or move quick fast movers jet aircraft usually f4 phantoms insertion or extraction how you get in and out of a landing zone by helicopter or parachute a k-bar is a knife usually not the swiss army variety remf a not so polite soldier's term for those rear echelon commanders who cut the orders and planned the plans tisk tisk and a slick is another word for a huey helicopter the version that carried the troops ads this month some of these ads are really repeating over and over again. We've still got the, the Ultra Games ad and the inside cover. Ooh. Airwolf real engine powered model helicopter. You can fly. Same company that brought the top gun thing from the last issue. But uh but you can you can fly this model helicopter. TSR has no more, quote, board games for Christmas. Ha, 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 because it's an advertisement for a Buck Rogers and a Dragon Lance board games. We have Look Ma No Wires again. Introducing the DJ machine. Oh, my God, this kid looks like a tool. Seriously, it's like he wants to... Oh, man. 
I, I'm, if I remember, I'll scan this and put this in the show notes. This is a ridiculous looking ad. Want to be the star of your own radio show? Then get the Studio 4 home DJ machine and, and become a professional disc jockey right at home. It's so real, it's like being in a recording studio. You can record music, create exciting sound effects, everything from exploding bombs to weird electronic sounds. Oh, so you can be a morning zoo disc jockey? <laughs> Do voiceovers, mix everything together, make your own special tapes. The DJ machine makes you a star. It does. It has a tape player in here. It has like a fader board. It has a microphone. And here I am sitting with a blue mic and audacity in front of a laptop. Look how far we've come. Ooh, available at Caldor. Uh, we have which game did millions of Top Gunners play last year? 1943, the Battle of Midway. We played in arcades. I remember this game was fun. I remember this game. It was a World War II plane fighting game. Um, this it was. It was one of those fun games. Same. Take your Nintendo games anywhere you want to go with the with those LCD games and stuff. Quick shot for Hot Shots again with below it. Uh, Bullpen bulletins talking about National UNICEF Day and a picture of Spider Man on top of a pumpkin because National UNICEF Day is October thirty first. Same ad for uh, Cycross and Mag Max. Subscription ad this time around shows Wolverine holding a big sack of toys saying, Ho, 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 bub. And it says Santa Claus, C-L-A-W-S. Uh, see what they did there? And there's a holiday savings and, you know, and what have you. On the inside cover, now you can be the next Joe. You can be a real American hero. And I already talked about that ad a couple of months ago, it seems, by now, um, where you can make your own figure. And I had this, and I don't know what I did with it, but that, uh, or at least what I did with the certificate and everything. But this is a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool idea. Um, I'm actually amazed that Hasbro didn't think of it sooner, but there you go. And the back ad is the same Taito video game ad for Bubble Bobble, Renegade, Sky Shark, and Operation Wolf. And that will do it for uh, issue 27 of the NOM and this issue, this episode of In Country. Next time around, I'll be back with issue 28 of the series. Uh, I'll be able to bring historical context back into it again. And be a little bit longer, but until then, thank you once again for listening and take care. You have been listening to In Country, a podcast that covers Marvel Comics The Nom. The NOM and all of the comics associated with it are copyright Marvel Comics, and as this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes, and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Images, clips, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, which you can find at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com and may likely be read on the air as I occasionally do email-centric episodes or segments. Thank you for listening and come back in two weeks for the next chapter in the saga of the Nam. The candle burned out.